Gospel reading according to John, the 20th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed? Because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the reading of the Holy Gospel. Two dogs and a cat passed through the pearly gates and approached the throne of God. God asked the first dog, a Doberman, What do you believe? The Doberman says, I believe in staying close to and protecting my master. Good answer. Come and sit at my right side. Then God turns to the second dog, a Labrador, and asks, what do you believe? The Labrador says, I believe in loving my master and showering my master with affection and always staying loyal. Good answer. Come and sit here at my left. Finally, God turns to the cat and asks, and what do you believe? The cat says, I believe you're in my seat. <laughs> what do you believe? From what seat are you viewing the world? Those are the questions in our text for today. Thomas starts by telling what he will and won't believe. And in so doing, he gets the nickname 
doubting Thomas and becomes the example for what we are to avoid. On closer inspection, however, the text is a tiny bit more complicated. Who really believes? The rest of the disciples have already seen Jesus in the flesh. There's no leap of faith for them. And who were these blessed people mentioned who already believe without seeing? At this point, there are no evangelists. No Bible has been written. We don't exist yet. There are just a few frightened followers of Jesus cowering behind closed doors, afraid that they too might be executed. Maybe our story about Thomas needs a little updating. Last week I was in a meeting to plan a summit on equity in the county where I live to ensure that everyone in our county can thrive. And after the meeting, a woman that I know pretty well came up to me and asked, how are you doing? And rather than just say, fine, I launched into my story. I'm so tired, so busy. It seems like my life is five miles wide and an inch deep. I'm going from one thing to the next to the next, and I'm so exhausted, blah, blah, blah. Have you ever gotten partway through telling your own story and you realize you're just sick of that story? <laughs> Every time I tell this story, I give it more energy. And I realize that I'm no longer telling the story. This story is telling me. What if I just let it go? What if I just stopped telling and living it? What story is telling you? What story are you ready to stop telling and living? What if in our text, Thomas stops his story midstream? What if in the middle of saying what he won't believe, he pauses and allows himself to see something new? Thomas' story is that Jesus is dead, and that limits what he sees. What if Thomas starts looking around the room? What if instead of looking for Jesus' wounds, Thomas sees the wounds of those around him? What if he sees Jesus in Mary, in Philip, in Peter? Might he see Jesus alive everywhere and thus believe and have life in Jesus' name? What about us? Where do we see Jesus? Only in one risen person who lived 2,000 years ago? What if intending the wounded, the vulnerable, the oppressed, the planet, we are seeing and believing in the risen Christ. What if that's what it means to have life in his name? Jesus doesn't exactly chastise Thomas for doubting. Jesus literally tells him, 
Do not let yourself become faithless. Do not let yourself become faithless. Believe. Faith is allowing ourselves to see the wider, deeper reality that connects all beings. Believing is to live by that vision. Do not let yourself become faithless. Believe. Believe what? What if our religion is more than just a belief in a risen corpse? What if we who have not seen Jesus start seeing Jesus everywhere, in every living being? What if in doing so, we ourselves become the presence of Jesus, alive, here and now? We become both the eyes of Jesus and that which Jesus sees. I grew up in Texas, and most of my family was Baptist, including my grandmother, Agnes. And she was very faithful, went to church every Sunday, was very involved in her church. And at her funeral, uh, my family and I were sitting there expecting a rather normal funeral, as much as it was difficult for us and all of the pain. And partway through the service, a woman that we didn't know stood up and said, excuse me, I have something to say. And she continued. She said, every Sunday morning, Agnes was the greeter of my Sunday school class. On her dress, she always wore a flower, and she gave me a cup of orange juice. And she smiled at me, and she hugged me. And in that smile and that hug, I came to know the love of Jesus. I just thought her family would like to know that. What if we believed that a hug and a smile could be the presence of Jesus for someone craving welcome? What if we believed that when we tend the hurting, forgotten ones, we are for them the risen Christ? Because to believe in Jesus is not just about doctrine. It's holding space for others to be the fullness of who they are, particularly when that fullness has been rejected. It is standing in solidarity with the oppressed who have been standing alone. What would it look like for you in your life to take the next step in being the risen Jesus for someone? Our text says that Jesus breathes on his followers and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathes life into all of us followers, breathing the life of spirit into us. And then Jesus gives us a mission. Forgive and retain sins. Now, a traditional take on this passage is that Jesus charges the church to forgive and retain sins through the practice of confession and absolution. 
All right. Let's take a little closer look and see what might else be here. This is the little Greek geek out moment. The Greek word for sin means to miss the mark. And the word for forgive means let it go. And the word for retain can also mean hold on to, hold back, prevent. So another way to hear what Jesus said, whoever misses the mark, let them off the hook. Let it go. Or hold on. Hold back your agreement. Don't let them off the hook. Prevent them from going about their lives uncontested. How do we know which to do? And when? And what does any of this have to do with Easter, with the risen Jesus? Well, elsewhere in John's Gospel, we have a clue. Jesus confronts religious leaders whose lack of mercy misses the mark. The trance of dominant culture and calcified religion blinds them to the suffering around them and to how their actions add to rather than alleviate suffering. Jesus says their view is from below, but his view is from above. And as long as they refuse to up-level their view, they continue to miss the mark. The blinders of our culture, our dominant way of seeing the world, can obscure the wounds of Christ all around us. Our vision can become distorted, and we hear it constantly. The undocumented immigrant escaping violence and dire poverty becomes an unwanted illegal. The struggling single mom needing our communal assistance becomes a welfare queen. People dying because opioids have been overmarketed and overprescribed becomes the cost of doing business. Species dying out, our species threatened by a changing climate, that science is ignored because it might adversely impact quarterly profits. Spewing hateful words regarding someone's race, religion, gender identity, or sexual orientation with no sense of responsibility for how that might inspire hateful actions. To retain sins is to shine a light on such blindness, to name it, to hold it to account, whether in others or in ourselves. Not as a condemnation, but as an invitation to see and to change. And always with humility. For we are usually blind to our own missing of the mark. How do we participate in oppressive structures and benefit from them? How do we buy into dominant views on race, gender, religion, wealth, and unwittingly add to the pain of others? For whom do we lack mercy? When does our self-righteousness blind us to the wounds of others? When we, in the name of love, hold to account, the accounting starts within. And so does the forgiveness.
I work for a, a place called the Marin Interfaith Council, and this week we're having our annual prayer breakfast, and one of our speakers is Father Tom Bonacci, who is the executive director of the Interfaith Peace Project in Antioch. And he was telling me about a presentation he gave at a Catholic church near Sacramento. And the topic of immigration came up. And one woman got rather riled up and started to talk about how all these people were invading us from across the border and creating all kinds of havoc and living off of her tax dollars. And the more she talked, the more livid she became and the more hateful she started to spew things from her mouth. And Father Tom thought about cutting her off, but just let her run and talk. And after a few minutes, she came up for air. And Father Tom asked her if she was done, and she was. And then he asked her one simple question. How would Jesus respond to what you just said? And she went silent. And a tear started to trickle down her face. And then she started to weep. She said, the Jesus I know wouldn't have said any of those things. The truth is my life has been so hard and never, never did I get a helping hand from anyone. No one ever gave me a break. And now I'm asked to be compassionate for someone else. I know that's what Jesus would have me do, but I'm in so much pain and anger for my own life. And that's what this is really about. When we face the truth, touch our own wounds, admit our darkness, then liberation, forgiveness, a letting go happens. We extend forgiveness to ourselves and to others. Jesus breathes forgiveness on the very people who had abandoned him in his hour of need. And then gives them the mission to do the same for others. Inhale, self-forgiveness. Exhale, forgiveness. In that respiration, resurrection flows through our hearts. And with forgiveness, there's room for a new story to emerge. And that story is that we are more than an individual. More than even one individual species, we're all in this together. It's all Christ everywhere, every living being. The whole planet is included. For until we see brother tree and sister whale, we don't know who we are. We are Christ, appearing in every species, every ecosystem, every living being. We are one interconnected web of being. That's the story we hold, and that's the story that holds us. As breathed on people of God's Spirit, we are the presence of the risen one who is no longer confined to a solitary body. We are the body of Christ. We both hold to account and let off the hook in the name of the Risen One. 
through us, old stories and patterns and oppressions die. And a new way emerges that smiles, forgives, and embraces all life. Poet Kim Rosen says it this way. Do you know how the caterpillar turns? Do you remember what happens inside a cocoon? You liquefy. There in the thick black of your self-spun womb, void as the moon before waxing, you melt as Christ did in the tomb for three days. In impossible darkness, conceiving the sheer inevitability of wings. Fellow caterpillars, are you ready to liquefy? Are you ready for the cocoon of your constricting personal stories and those of our society to melt? Are you ready to see Jesus everywhere in every living thing, especially in the most vulnerable, hurting and wounded, including the person you see in the mirror? Are you ready to retain and forgive to be the risen Christ in a world still half asleep? Are you willing to slough off the chrysalis and spread your inevitable wings? Are you ready to believe?